Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon, and this is our fifth episode. Before I forget, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast, if for some crazy reason you already haven't, because it's completely free with no obligation. And please find our page on Facebook and give us a like or follow so we can keep you updated. In this episode, I'm trying something new, which is actually something I've done in just about every episode so far. When I planned and started Always West Seattle, the whole point of it was for me to be interacting with lots of strangers, doing interviews at the Walk Always intersection in the Alaska Junction and at our weekly farmer's market, talking to vendors and shoppers. And that idea turned out to be pretty challenging for me at first. I was surprised at how hard it was to approach people out of the blue with my handheld microphone recorder asking them even one simple question. But my goal for the podcast was to get a lot of different voices into every episode. And a goal for myself was to get comfortable interacting with people in my neighborhood. With practice, I started to get a lot better at both. And then everything changed. And now, approaching a stranger and sticking a microphone up to their mouth is not really in the cards at all. And not long after I started, our farmer's market was shut down. It's since returned after being gone for over a month, and we'll hear more about that later in this episode. But it's back in a very different, socially distant way that actively discourages interactions and mingling. But you know, everyone's had to change their approach to just about everything. And in this episode, we'll hear some stories about what it took to do the pivot from three different locations in the junction, including a relatively new bar and restaurant, West Seattle's oldest bookstore, and our farmer's market. When social distancing restrictions and regulations hit our area to stem the coronavirus infection rate, restaurants and bars had to pivot quickly to survive. Relatively new to the junction, Lady J is one such business that had to figure out a whole new way of operating almost overnight. We spoke to one of Lady J's co-owners, Evan Carter, for more of their story. How long have you been open? Uh, so we've been open since uh, September of 2019. So, you know, when this thing hit, we were about six months-ish old. <clears throat> and, uh, and, yeah, kind of hitting our groove. Yeah. Uh, how were things going before everything changed? You know, great. So we actually, we got the place in June last year and kind of re- revamped, remodeled, tried to hit the end of the summer because we have a back patio mm-hmm. and and really wanted to, you know, really wanted to get some use out of our back patio before the winter hit. But we ended up opening about September 15th and so kind of missed the last part of the summer, had a couple of weeks with our patio and then just got right into winter and and it's been going good. We've been packed out every, every weekend night, we're, you know, we're trying to kind of figure out the, the community a little bit, West Seattle, what time they like to go out for happy hour, mm-hmm. how late they like to stay out. So, you know, those first six months was just kind of learning the community that really felt like we were hitting our stride and really excited for this summer because we have this awesome patio yeah. that everyone's been talking about. And then, uh, yeah, then this hit. <laughs> <laughs> the patio could be a, a big perk in the coming months. I mean, definitely. We were just sitting here on Mother's Day and it was like 75 80 degrees on a Sunday, and we were like, dang, we would have done brunch, had cocktails out here all day, served dinner, we would have had a huge day, but no go on that. How quickly were you able to pivot after all the restrictions were put in place for bars and restaurants? We could pivot pretty quickly, because I think that the four of us, 
the partners, we just have a, a mentality of just let's roll with the punches and let's make something happen. You know, we have a lot of friends in the industry who get the information maybe a little bit quicker than the general public. So, you know, we always have our ears out and making phone calls and kind of seeing who's doing what. We had some information that, you know, there might be a, a lockdown and now we can start doing to-go cocktails. So we kind of had that information at least a day before. And so we just honestly, we sat down and Sarah goes, okay, we can do to-go cocktails tomorrow. So how about I go out and buy a bottler and we buy some bottles and we just start doing it ourselves. And it was just within, you know, it was within a day. We just flipped it around and started selling them the next day Wow! because we just, <laughs> we couldn't wait, you know, we yeah. had to get on it and do it. What's been the biggest challenge for you in adapting to this new way of doing business? Oh, man. Um, fighting the boredom in what is definitely one thing because, mm. you know, being in the restaurant industry, you know, you're so used to just talking to so many people and, and learning about so many people and engaging with people. That's like, that's such a fun element of the restaurant industry for mm-hmm. sure. And then just trying to figure out doing to goes, not getting complacent, not getting boring, you know, always trying to keep it fresh. And we pride ourselves here on, on our service. You know, we have great food, great drinks, and we pride ourselves on our service. But when it comes to to, to goes, you can't really show that off as well. So right. it really is about just having amazing food and amazing content cocktails and being super consistent. So, you know, the challenge I know for the chefs is coming up with with new items that are cost effective that they can actually get because there's a meat shortage, Mm. you know, and, you know, just not not being complacent and, you know, cocktail wise, kind of the same thing, you know, what are people really going to order? What do they like? What do they want to drink when they're quarantined? Everything. Yeah, yeah, everything, right? (laughs) So yeah, it's just been, uh, you know, this is just in that, just the uncertainty right i mean that's really a big thing we just we don't know we have all these staff members that you know we want to hire back that are sitting at their house waiting mm-hmm. but we have we have no idea when that's going to happen and and then just hearing these new new rules and laws coming out of when we can reopen just that just the, it's just the uncertainty and then just trying to figure out how to mesh it all together so when we do start reopening how are the people going to react we know that People aren't just going to flood out to restaurants, or a lot of people aren't. There's going to be some people that, that want to do that, but it's not going to be this craziness. So, right. you know, right. we got, how do we how do we balance the to goes with the 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 walk in orders? You know, yeah. so. did you do any to go business before all this happened? Not very much. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean we're you know we're not we we weren't set up to really do it very well, and a lot of our food is just you know we don't we didn't like to do it because. We didn't want to ever want to do a delivery service because we just didn't want people to get home and go, oh, this isn't that good or this right. doesn't look right, you know. So we just never really pushed it. If people wanted something to go, by all means, we'd do it. Mm. But definitely it was probably, you know, 1% of our overall business, if that. And you are doing set family meals rather than individual <laughs> items. How did you reach that decision yeah. to go that route? You know, I think for us it was just more about you know, the uncertainty in the beginning, you know, how long is this going to last? And, and we just wanted to be able to control it and know that, hey, you know, we're going to do 100 meals a day, and this is what we're going to do. And, and we want to be able to sell that out. And, as, you know, it was more about, you know, food costs as well. Like if we just had our whole menu out and people were just picking and choosing here and there, first of all, it's just we can't market that. So, mm-hmm. For us as a business, we said we thought it would be a lot better if we could just market one meal a day and really go all out and give them everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get, you know, some people call up and say, hey, I'm a vegan. You know, what can you do for me? And we're, we're like, well, you know, honestly, not much right now because <laughs> we, we just don't have a lot of options, you know. So 
So we just thought it was easy, easiest to market, easiest to kind of execute at a high level and give people really great meals consistently. That's how we felt that we could do it the best way. And uh, what has the customer response been like? Oh, man, it's been great. So many people are giving us great feedback. We're getting Yelp reviews. We're getting five-star Yelp reviews. Awesome. We're getting Google reviews. Yeah, so uh, people are emailing in. I think it was last Saturday, somebody, it was about five days ago, somebody called, and it was, it was at... 6.45, and they said, hey, we just picked up our meal at 5.30, and in the back of my head, I'm like, uh-oh, gosh, what did we do? Did we give them, you know, <laughs> did we forget the meat? You know, what happened? <laughs> and they, the lady goes, I just wanted to tell you that you guys killed it. Like, this was the best meal we've ever had in quarantine, and I just wanted to call you guys and tell you that. And it was, <laughs> it was wow. great. And we're like, I was like, wow, who, who does that, you That's know? That's really nice. So, yeah, we're getting really great feedback, great uh, social media feedback, great emails, phone calls, and then we're seeing the same names every single week. People are coming in and ordering two or even three times a week from us. We're, we're trying to launch new to-go cocktails, you know, every week. We're bottling them up in 12-ounce bottles, and uh, there's about three cocktails in that bottle, diluted, chilled, ready to go. So you just get home, pop it off, and, and pour it into your glass. Mm. So, so we're doing a lot of those. They have to be ordered with food, but we're really trying to push those because, first of all, they're awesome, and we're getting a lot of feedback saying, you know, people are like, wow, it felt like I was actually out, you know, thanks for, thanks for making this. You know, it's like a date night. <laughs> the first time in months. Uh-huh. So, you know, so that's, that's one of those things that we're, yeah, we're just really trying to push, and I think we're doing pretty dang well. And how are you preparing for the next stage of pivoting as we hopefully get closer to phased-in reopenings? We are lucky because we do have that patio, so that kind of expands our dining room. We're going to keep doing to-goes. We think there's still going to be a big opportunity for that and a big need for that. And we're going to follow the rules six feet apart. We can probably get about 30 people in our dining room mm-hmm. as opposed to 60. But then we have this back patio, so we can probably get another 24 on that back patio with use, utilizing the, the, the spacing regulations. So, you know, for us, it's going to be about probably keeping our same hours. We're going to do Wednesday to Sunday and then hiring back the amount of people that we really need and just kind of playing it by ear at first and knowing that, you know, we're going to, I'm going to keep doing the, the, the marketing for all of our to-goes because I think that's going to be, that's just going to be huge. So, yeah. we're, you know, we can do what we're doing. We can survive off these to-goes for the time being. So I think, you know, for us, anything else that we get inside. We'll have a limited menu when it comes to that, you know. I mean, we're not going to have our full menu back, I don't, I don't think, just because it takes so long to prep that whole thing. So we'll probably start off by doing a few meals, seeing how that goes. And so we'll have reservation slots that we're going to do. And we'll tell people, you, your reservation is from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and then 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., you know, just so we know who's coming in and, and how many people we can serve and kind of be able to control that. Well, yeah. I've got my fingers crossed that your famous happy hour smash burger returns someday <laughs> soon. <laughs> I miss that. I know. I know. It's freaking delicious. We want to do that. It's just so much. It would just be so much work yeah. and not, not a lot of you know, it's not it's not a great money maker sure. for us right now if you yeah. can't come in and drink too. <laughs> so, but we we won't, we're trying to do something. I know we we might do a few a day just to kind of get people back in here and mm-hmm. kind of you know put it put it back on the map. Lady J offers to go meals and cocktail kits Wednesday through Sunday. Order in advance by visiting their website at ladyj.com, and that's J with an E at the end. 
Another junction business that's much more established in the community is Pegasus Book Exchange. We spoke to Eric Ogresek to find out what West Seattle readers have been digging into and learn more about how this longtime junction business has turned a new page on their old business model. So tell me a little bit about how your business has had to pivot to keep going in our coronavirus times. Well, basically every day or at least every week, we seem to make some changes. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, today we're allowing weekend curbside pickup. Uh, First time we've done that in what seems like months, which is something that we've just started thinking about doing just only a couple days ago. So just really just trying to be flexible, seeing what customers want, but still trying to maintain being safe. So we're delivering seven days a week. I've driven so many miles in West Seattle. I feel like I know the, the, it better than ever before. <laughs> so between those two things, you know, it's just been it's been exciting. Uh, just getting to keep it. We're flexible, folks. You know, that's what keeps the bookstores that have been around anyway is being flexible in the digital age. There's only two staff here managing the store. It's been a lot of juggling, and some people want to come in, but we can't let them. All in all, the people have been so supportive and helpful. It's it's really been quite easy, honestly. We're some of the fortunate ones. We can't complain by any means. We're all still up. You know, even though our, our costs are 60% down, we're making about 40% of what we normally did. But it, it's still enough to kind of keep us here. Our landlord's been cool. Everybody's been really very helpful. So, That's great. Uh, yeah, we're just going to keep doing that and gradually move back to normal, hopefully. Uh, And I think your business, the change has has been so profound because I think a lot of your customers typically would just sort of wander in and browse the shelves. Tell us about how you've responded to and adapted for that process for people. Arguably, that's been the hardest thing we've had to do because people can come in and touch every book, look through it a bit. And so we're having to do that for them, which is extremely difficult. We'll have lists of people give us 40 books they want. And if we have, let's say, 12 or 20 of them, We'll pull those up to the front, and then it may not be the format they wanted or the edition. So that has been the hardest part for us is doing the shopping for people. I was talking to Matt Vaughn at Easy Street Records, and he, you know, people know what they want with records. They don't really right. listen to them necessarily in the store. So he hasn't had that problem at all. And we kind of like people are want Curious George, so you pull all the Curious George, and they've read half of them, <laughs> uh, or they don't like the cover or the digital art. So. It has been very difficult. Fortunately, customers have realized, hey, I just want anything. They just want to kind of support us. So there's been that, then very little kind of overwhelming hand-holding. We haven't had to do that. The customers have just been really cool. But like I said, with only one person being here, uh, it is quite taxing. That's why we're encouraging people to email us rather than call. Because if we're on the phone, then we kind of have to be there and say, hey, we have this, this, this. We want that, that, that. So uh, we've just, like the other things, we've just kind of been adapting with it. Our shelves look really sad because we've been selling so many used books. So we've just started taking books in for store credit again, which is lovely. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's now starting to beef up our sections, particularly kids' books. We've had so many charities buy so many books from us for like uh, the the program where they're delivering school lunches to kids. A couple Uh of very generous folks have now put a book with each meal. So some of these kids who maybe have never had a book at home are now getting one a week. Wow. So they're, they're quite excited about that. Uh, and so it's been exciting, That's uh, cool. but it has been our biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I think I saw that you were actually posting videos of sort of like virtual browsing of your shelves. Were you doing that on social media? Yep. Yep. On our website too, we have links to most of the genres where you can just kind of see historical fiction, for example. Uh, but it, it's not updated, you know, very frequently. So we just, we still have maybe 60% of the store to put pictures up of online. 
but shortly after we post them, a lot of those books sell, so it's not necessarily the most accurate. Right. Uh, fortunately, we have that online source. A nonprofit popped up right before this called Bookshop.org, who has been here to help indie bookstores, and we've generated, I would say, the vast majority of, of our revenue during this through them, because if we don't have it, we're just telling customers, hey, go to this site, buy it from them, and we get a 30% commission. So oh. on a $10 book sold, we get 3 bucks, which mm-hmm. is unheard of. We only get between two and four when we sell it in the store, whether the person has credit or not. So, oh, wow. Uh, with having to do no work, it has been tremendous for us. So, yeah, it, that's been lovely and great timing for these folks because they had no idea. It was, they've already raised over, I think, uh, I think 50, uh, $1.5 million for indie bookstores since their inception. Wow. Uh, so they have been incredibly helpful, and we've made a loan over 5000 just from customers who want to support us buying through this site. So That's fantastic. Uh, that's been super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what have been some of your top sellers of the last month? Oh, boy. Well, I'll get to the three I have picked out in a moment. But uh, a lot of nonfiction. We've been selling a lot of science books. Uh, we were able to buy some of the last books on plagues and and diseases and stuff like that that <laughs> people have been really curious about. Yeah. And like old classics like Love in a Time of Cholera or The Plague by Camus, mm-hmm. uh, The Stand by Stephen King. Those have been some of the biggest sellers of ones just and how people coped with uh, these these fictional diseases, yeah. and it's very real. It's very real to what we're having to go through now. Uh, fortunately, not as bad as the Stephen King book. Was. Right. Yeah. Um, I hope people but, aren't reading that book and thinking, "Is this how it will end?" <laughs> <laughs> right. That means we all all the bad people end up in Las Vegas. All the good people in Colorado. So that's <laughs> that's what happens that way. So at least we're not too far from the good place. But it's been really fun seeing what has sold really well. The best kids series we sold has been Wings of Fire. Uh, with all these dragons and boy that has been a hot one where we're ordering a dozen a week it seems like wow and they're just they they're just buying them up they're actually on back order online they don't even have enough of them anywhere so this must be going all across the country with this series so wow yeah two et sutherland is the author wings of fire they're really neat they have graphic novels for the first three of them as well and boy that's been a hot seller cool uh well what are some of your uh, recommendations that you have for uh, books people might want to check out right now yeah, the, the three I put aside, one I've read and can personally recommend, and the other two have been some of the hottest bestsellers. So one of them is called A Woman of No Importance by Sonia Purnell. It's kind of an unrecognized story of about American spy who, during World War II, kind of went undercover and she helped light the flame of the French resistance. Hmm. And she didn't, didn't get any credit, really, up until recently, the, the Brits and, and the French gave her a Medal of Honor recognizing her uh, for all her work. Uh, but it kind of reads like fiction. I think what people love about the book is it just it's it's not like a typical nonfiction book with dredged down in facts and stuff. It's which it is, but it just boy, it's super entertaining. You almost can't believe what this woman did. Wow, that uh, so great. that's that's been a super hot one. <laughs> and the other one is Untamed by a lady named Glennon Doyle. She wrote a book called Love Warrior. But this new one couldn't have come at a better time. It's kind of just inspirational, motivational. It's almost like an Instagram post of this lady's life, kind of redefining feminism, kind of making people not feel guilty about being a mom or whatever they decide to do. She's kind of trying to take the shame out of womanhood that so many people feel Mm. uh, and how they they had goals for their life. And then one, you know, then life got in the way of life, you know, and she kind of is unapologetic about that and making people feel good about their life decisions. And I don't feel like it's really pandering like some of those books do. Yeah, I feel like it really is good advice and it's helping people through some really hard times. And the, the one I just finished, which I love it, called The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. 
She's written various books. She's a three-time Hugo Award winner. But this one is set in New York City, and it involves basically each of the boroughs of New York becoming manifesting it in a human. So evil pops up, and all the different boroughs kind of have a, a person representing them. And they don't even know that it happens. It just happens one night. So it's one guy becomes Manhattan who just moved to Manhattan. And all, they all have the traits that are indicative of each of these boroughs. Huh. Uh, I was born in New York in Staten Island, and I won't give anything away, but the representation of Staten Island is fair, but uh, it, it <laughs> makes me feel bad to be from Staten Island, honestly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just a glorious book, very easy to read, and no wonder she wins all these awards. It's just an incredible book that I recommend to people who don't even read fantasy, because so much of it is set in our world. Just a lovely book. So That, that sounds amazing. I wonder what the West Seattle version of that story would be. Like the, the, person, <laughs> the person from Alki, the person from Gatewood, the person from White Center. <laughs> Right, for real. I honestly hope it inspires people to do that, if not just for the the different uh, areas of Seattle, but for the whole city. It would be really fantastic. Yeah. Just great stuff. To learn more about ordering books for delivery, visit PegasusBookExchange.com. The West Seattle Farmer's Market is a lot of things to a lot of people. For farmers and vendors, it's a vital income source. For shoppers, it's a chance to directly connect with our local food suppliers. And for most everyone, it's a fun place to hang out and interact. Everything had to change for the market to return to the Alaska Junction with city approval. We spoke to market manager Jonica Strongman a few days after the market's initial return for some background on what it took to get up and running again in West Seattle and what you need to know to help make it work. Welcome back to West Seattle. Can you tell us a little bit about what it took to get back up and running in West Seattle? It has been quite a long process. From the very beginning, since that second week of March, when the governor declared the like emergency order, mm-hmm. from the very beginning, farmers markets have been deemed essential by the governor across the state. Mm-hmm. So at the state level, farmers markets have been essential, but that second week of March, the city of Seattle actually canceled our street use permit mm-hmm. in their cancellation of all events. So we were kind of lumped into like street fair, festival kinds of events. Right. And so even though we were deemed essential, the city canceled our permits and our ability to run markets. Mm-hmm. So over the few weeks following that, we worked with a bunch of different Seattle agencies, Seattle King County Public Health, SDOT, the Office of Sustainability and Environment, Office of Economic Development, so several different city offices on plans to reopen safely. We had to put in place pretty significant restrictions, establishing a perimeter around the market, limiting the number of vendors and shoppers in the market at a time, and then the sanitizing, social distancing, and health screening for staff and vendors as well. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the parameters that we've been um, working with public health and the city. And then the city gave us permission to reopen University District first. And we had two successful weeks of the university district market running. And then we heard that we would be able to open up West Seattle. So that was really exciting news. We didn't really have a timeline for reopening until we heard from the city. And so we were really excited to be able to put those plans 
that we've been working on for so many weeks into place, which is really exciting. There's a lot of behind the scenes work that clearly went into making this happen. Definitely. It was um, pretty extensive. We have a limited staff. We're a pretty small nonprofit, but we have like 11 or 12 people, uh, like full-time employees. And mm-hmm. We have all just been working around the clock for weeks, all from home or primarily from home, but just, yeah, it's required pretty significant, expensive work on our part to reopen. Wow. I can only imagine. So you've done one market so far in West Seattle with the new policies (laughs) and procedures. What went great about it and where do you see room for more awareness or improvement? So everything went well the first day. We are required to do quite a bit of reporting to public health and also to the city, both of whom which were on site on Sunday as well, to make sure that we were carrying out all the procedures that we had put into place and planned to. So we got uh, approval from them on all, all of our plans. Everything went pretty well. The vendors had fairly steady business in line with what they usually do during this time of year, although we have only been able to support a fraction of the businesses that we usually do. The city is unfortunately limiting us to 30 vendors in the market right now, where during peak season, we usually have over 70 So um, it's a pretty significant hit for us in our ability to serve all the farms and small businesses that need to use the market to sell. So we are looking forward to hopefully being able to support more farms in the market. But for now, the vendors who were there did pretty well. Mm -hmm. Shoppers were great at social distancing and following many of the rules that we have, but there were still some shoppers that came in groups. We are encouraging people to just send one person per household instead of coming as a family, although we know that there are some exceptions and people need to be able to come with kids. And people also were bringing their dogs, which we have asked that people leave their dogs at home for right now and just bring, if they have service dogs, of course that is uh, acceptable, but it just helps us be able to, you know, control the number of people, get everyone moved in and out and keep the focus on grocery shopping instead of using the farmer's market as like an event or a place to hang out, Yeah, which we're trying discourage. I didn't even go myself because as much as I really wanted to be there, I I really didn't need anything that day. And so I stayed away. I think people, for now anyway, just have to treat it in a different way than we're used to. Right, right. And that's actually perfect that you did that. That is exactly what we're asking people to do. So if people don't need to get anything from the farmer's market and they would just go to look around and see what's there, then uh, we want to reserve the space for people who need food, for people who need to restock um, on things that they're missing and do that essential grocery shopping. So that is actually perfect. Thank you so much for following the rules. <laughs> My- but yeah, we're we're looking on how best to communicate that. We have a lot on our website, on all of our social media. We finally got 
some permanent signage printed. So we're able to communicate that a little bit better, but hopefully being strict in these efforts for the time being will help us, you know, return to a little bit more normal, a little bit faster. So that is our our goal with all of this. And we are, you know, modifying it as it needs to be uh, each week. Are there any sort of seasonal things coming into the market that shoppers should be thinking about or looking for or placing orders for in advance? Yeah, definitely. So one thing that is really exciting for us is flowers will be returning to the market this weekend, which is perfect timing because it is Mother's Day on Sunday. And it is an extremely important day for a lot of our flower farmers. It's one of the biggest days of the year for them. Flowers are essential as an agricultural product, but it took a little bit of time for public health in the city of Seattle to work out some of the language around that and be able to allow us to support our flower farmers. So mm-hmm. we're really excited to have flowers back in the market. Yeah, Many of our flower vendors also grow produce later in the season and these flower sales early on help fund that part of their business. Mm-hmm. So you can expect to see lots of peonies, some tulips still, and lilacs in the market, which is going to be really, really exciting and beautiful for Mother's Day, of course. We have lots of rhubarb in the market Mm -hmm. and lots of asparagus. We have a ton of asparagus right now. We have some really cool purple asparagus, too, that a couple farms are bringing in. Which is really exciting. It, it actually it tastes just like regular asparagus, and when you cook it, it actually turns green again. Oh so, wow! Yeah, it's it's really funny, but it's a very it's just like this gorgeous dark kind of plum eggplant kind of color that is just super super cool, and I've never seen it anywhere else. <laughs> so we have just a ton of asparagus, spring onions, some of the early greens and stuff, but. Yeah, it's we've got a lot more coming into the market. And uh, are you encouraging people to do pre-ordering with the West Seattle Farmers Market or just be focused on having your list and knowing what you need, which method works best? Either one is great. The pre-orders is sometimes helpful if you're not able to come until late in the day or something. You want to make sure that you have that pound of bacon or something for breakfast the next morning. Mm -hmm. So pre-ordering is always helpful, but only some of the vendors take pre-orders. Many of the vendors are not able to just because they don't have like access to the technology or, you know, they haven't been able to uh, implement that because it does take quite a bit of work on the back end to implement pre-order systems. So it is always good to come with a list or some menu um, ideas for meals for the week and pre-order if there's something that you really want, you know, to make sure is, is there like chicken eggs or something like that. Gotcha. Great. Well, thank you so much for the updates. And thank you to you and all of your colleagues for bringing the market back to not just West Seattle, but to your other locations in the city so far and doing such a great job to support our our farmers and keep our local food source alive. It's really great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your appreciation. (laughs) It definitely uh, makes all the hard work worth it when we get to hear from people who really appreciate that we're back. So definitely is good to hear. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to me and I hope to see you sometime soon. Thank you so much, Keith. The West Seattle Farmer's Market is back for now every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For more information, visit seattlefarmersmarkets.org.
That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends. Stay safe and thanks for listening.